Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SCS Nation? Welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And uh, if you've been living under a rock or haven't been following our channel, which shame on you if you haven't, huge, massive, mega, gigantic, enormous news out of the Charlie Adelson trial today in Tallahassee, Florida. The state rests its case. And moments later, we find out defendant Charlie Adelson accused of murdering his ex-brother-in-law, Dan Markell, back in 2014 using two hitmen and a middle woman named Katie Magbanawa. He will take the stand in his own defense tomorrow. You see an empty chair next to me. Katie Cool Lady is on her way over. Incredible insight. Uh, she is the victim. Uh, her family was of a heinous murder. Her sister was murdered. Uh, John Singer, an attorney out of New York who's been following this case nonstop, is going to pop on in an hour's time. Julia Janae of Court TV will be here. She's been live uh, in the courtroom reporting about this the entire trial. And right now, the one and only, the man who has held down the fort while I've been in court. I'm a poet and I don't even know it. His name is Tim Jansen. I can't thank this guy enough. Big shout out to him. Huge shout out to the COE who keeps uh, the ship righted while I am not at home base at our global headquarters and Space Coast. Space Coast coming to us from Los Angeles where he takes care of all the stuff behind the scenes. And Meve Moen, who's a wonderful man but can't seem to find his arms. Whenever he looks for a wallet, his arms retract into his shoulder blades somehow. He's reptilian in nature. Uh, he is actually next door working on the show as we speak. Tim Jansen, you said it off there. Wow. Uh, what do you make of today? Well, I thought the state did an amazing job. They limited the Dolce Vita. They had him go through all the telephone calls. And what they did was they attacked the defense's theory of extortion. And they showed the nature of the relationship. They showed the contents of the calls, the very suspect nature of the communications, the coded communications. And and I and I think I said it. I said, you know, you don't you don't be nice to someone extorting you. You don't talk in codes with an extorter, right? You only talk in codes with co-conspirators. And that was prevalent throughout today. Um, I knew By the way, Tim Danson, before you continue, I have to give you props because you did, in fact, say at the outset, the onset of all this, that Charlie Adelson would take the stand. And there was some high drama today. Once the state rested its case, they called a witness. And uh, Judge Stephen Everett said to uh, Mr. Rashbaum, he said, is this your only witness? And he said, I'm not 100 percent sure yet. He left everyone hanging. And even Judge Everett himself chuckled and said, wow, this is uh, dramatic. You know, you're keeping everyone sus in suspense. And then we found out Charlie will take the stand tomorrow. Continue on, Tim. I didn't mean to interrupt. Wanted to give you that credit. You didn't. I, I mean, it was apparent, right? It was apparent from one, the opening statement. And then it was apparent during the cross-examination of Pat Sanford, right? 
the third or fourth question in, Rashbaum says, do you know what happened on June 18th? And Sanford says, yeah, there was a murder of Markel. He goes, no, do you know what happened at Charlie Ellison's house on the 18th? Well, no, I don't know. Well, who else would know what happened at the 18th on his home? The so-called double extortion. It had to be Charlie Adelson. So he had to call him to the stand. His opening pretty much forced him to call his client to the stand. This crazy theory of defense, which I think all of these wiretaps, communications, undercut it completely. So uh, we'll see how he does on direct. Um, and we'll see who does cross, if it's going to be uh, Sarah or Georgia. I think it might be Sarah. And I say that because Sarah was the one that cross-examined Katie Magbonawa at her trial. Mm. And they divvied up the process. Georgia's taken most of the lead in this case. And I bet that they said, okay, if Charlie testifies, Sarah, you're going to do the cross. You, you, you focus and you divide and conquer. You know? So I think that she'll do it. And I think she'll do a great job. But it should be fascinating court TV tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a little slow on the uptake. By the way, both Georgia, I have to say this, and Sarah, in person, are very imposing figures uh, as compared or contrasted to Daniel Rashbaum. I mean, they're <laughs> tall women, upright yeah. posture, mm-hmm. kind of a serious tone, yeah. where Daniel Rashbaum is little and trying to almost appease the state. He makes little jokes here and there. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, by mm-hmm. the way, shout out to Black Widow. Thank you to Black Widow for gifting a membership. Very kind of her coming to us from the Republic of Ireland. Frankie Figs, a moderator, an obvious friend of the show. Five Surviving the Survivors gifted. McSpunky, always there, gifting one. Thanks, McSpunk. After I get Tim Jansen a boat, I have to get McSpunky a boat. Uh, Amanda the Yahoo uh, super sticker, so thank you for that. Uh, Peanut Gallery, uh, another one. Thank you, Peanut Gallery. Demi Demit Nobis question. How much actual time will Rashbaum have with Charlie tonight to prepare? That's an interesting question. Probably four or five hours. He'll go out to the and, jail and he'll go out and prep him. So 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 Charlie will uh, I'm sorry, Daniel is good at some point now or in the next couple minutes will head to the jail yep. and uh they will give they will give Charlie and Daniel, a room there to sit and talk and, and hash this out. Yeah, last minute. Now, you were in court, but you didn't get to see this. This this was dramatic, and the, and I think the listeners saw it. When they were getting ready for the defense case, they they honed in on, on Charlie. And Charlie actually was saying a prayer. He was moving his lips. He was nervous. And, and you could see that he was trying to talk himself to get ready to testify. And 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 he and his eyes were blinking, but you could see he was saying a prayer or something, and it was clear he was going to testify. Um, and then he was blinking his eyes, and then um, we knew he was going to testify. Um, it's going to be this is the biggest challenge of his life, the most. Tim Jansen, these are I always say best guest, better community. This is the best part of the community. My kids, Vita Waldman, shout out to Vita. It's Vita and Zizi, my two daughters. Don't know where my son is. I had a miss trick-or-treating. So uh, I will make it up to you by bribing you two with uh, gifts from Target, and I'll get Judah a uh, 
I don't know what I'll get him. I'll get him a monster truck. He's really into his ninja turtle guys. Uh, so maybe I'll get him a ninja turtle. But I will uh, I will make it up to you. If I was still on the road being a news correspondent, my kids would not know my name. And they wouldn't care that I was gone. But at least right now they care. And I'll get back home Friday to say hello. So thank you. Uh, we've got a super sticker here from Nettie Daniel. Thank you for this coverage of the trial and your wonderful mods. They are awesome. Thank you to all the mods. Tim, walk me back to that line of questioning about the night, because I am slow and this trial has made me slower. The night of July 18th, what was Rashbaum saying there? What was the point? So, so here we had two things. I said, and I told the viewers today, you, I don't know if you could hear it, I said the cross-examination of Pat Sanford will tell me whether or not Charlie's testifying. If it's a long-winded cross-examination going line by line, Charlie may not testify. If it's very short, that means Charlie's testifying. And it was very short. You'll remember that. It was very, very short. We were shocked how short it was. But he did ask him. He says, do you know what happened on June 18th? And Pat Sanford goes, yeah, Professor Marco was murdered. And he says, no, do you know what happened in Miami on June 18th at the Adelson home? And he says, I have no idea. So what does that mean? He's setting up for the extortion because they committed the murder. Then they're going to say that Katie McBonawa came there and extorted her. And that's when he got the money the next day to pay him. That's mm. going to be his theory. That's his theory. But, it, but how does he how does he get around the fact that for hours, Georgia Kaplman and Sarah Dugan have been playing wiretaps of his relationship with Katie after the fact? And it's been nothing but cordial. And they weren't dating. Right. Right. Uh, right. If you were yeah. if you were extorted, if you were extorted, if someone extorted me, I'd either go to the police if I was right. innocent. Right. I certainly wouldn't be talking to my ex-girlfriend. How does he get around that? Well, more importantly, I'm, I'm doing an article for a Democrat. And I said, these recordings showed that Sigfredo Garcia was such a hothead and a knucklehead, he couldn't even get the phone number right. He couldn't get the phone number right. But yet he and Meg Bonawa are going to orchestrate, finance, and murder this person and then extort the Adelson. It's ludicrous. <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> Sigfredo Garcia, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Let me tell you, the Adelsons are going to second guess why they did not hire Tim Jansen, Jansen and Davis and Ryan Davis. Uh, why, right. Look at this. We've got a VIP walking in, coming to sit with us. None other than Katie, cool lady. Uh, we are uh, all headed out tonight for a little uh, Ruth Markell event uh, nice. just to say hi to her and support her. Jennifer Ray says Charlie's be best witness to back up his story would be his mom to collaborate his story. Tim Jansen, she while Katie's collecting herself here, just walking in. Has, has, has your thought process about how the dominoes could fall changed at all, considering where we're at right now? Listening to these tape recordings, the conversations, the secret nature, the meetings, I think they have enough to charge Donna Adelson with conspiracy to commit murder. Clearly, I think they have enough for Donna. And Tim, is there a chance that this Charlie Adelson, uh, you know, he's, before I even get there, how long do you think this testimony lasts with Charlie in 
with a defense direct line of questioning. Okay, so so think about it. Okay, we have a little we have a little teaser information because Georgia said I want it to be done today. I don't want to get a break, and the reason she doesn't want a break, she doesn't want him to be able to go talk to him in the middle of the night to change things he said. So it was what four fifteen, and she doesn't mind doing cross after, but she doesn't want him still doing re- direct. So he's going to take at least two hours on direct because he would not have finished. So I would say he's going to be on there at least two hours. Two hours. That's not, a long time. That's not a long time going through all these recordings in the Dolce Vita. And how long would a cross be after that? Oh, I mean, that cross-examination could be a day. I don't really? think Georgia will do it, but they've got so much ammunition. And they got so many recordings and 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 Rashbaum's hoping they'll jump over it. But what you do is you go through every phone call or every recording. Hey, I want you to go on vacation. I want you to go smoke pot, get drunk and fish. Really? This is a person that extorted you. Oh, I'm going to sell you my boat. Why would you sell a boat when you give the boat to the extorter? I mean, there's so much that is so inconsistent. Then he's gonna he put his head down at the end, I think. Say, okay, you got me. It's unbelievable. By the way, Tim, you're getting a flood, all positive comments here, uh, holding on the floor. I'm gonna lose my job. The COE is gonna fire me once I get back. <laughs> Katie Cool Lady and I, and by the way, I said this last time, you will not meet a nicer human being with more um a more good-natured heart than Katie Cool Lady, who herself is a victim of a horrific homicide. Her sister was murdered here for all the right reasons, here to support the victims' uh, families, the Markells in this case. Katie Cool Lady is a sharp tack, too, very smart. And she told me, um, I'm not a lawyer, and I wasn't thinking this, but Katie, tomorrow when Daniel Rashbaum is on direct with Charlie Adelson, Georgia can only cross in terms of what is raised with Charlie. But Charlie... Everyone's been saying, and Daniel Rathbound's been saying it all along, likes to talk. So whatever Charlie happens to bring up is open for Georgia Kaplan to target, correct? As I understand, I mean, Tim might correct me because they don't know like Florida law specifically, but she could only cross on the doors that are opened and direct, right? No, not at all. Okay. As oh. a defendant, you have great leeway, uh, impeachment purposes, and the state will be giving great leeway cross-examination of the defendant. You're not limited to what the, they do on direct. Now, they may, there may be one part of the tape they don't play. She can impeach him on that tape, just like what Rossbaum did today. Georgia skipped the part that was favorable to, to him. He went back and was able to impeach him with it. So it's fair uh, game. Look at this. We're joined by the one and only Julia Janae of Court TV, who's been in the courtroom with us covering this for Court TV, obviously. Julia Janae, uh, what's it been like for you uh, covering this so far? How uh, intense has it been compared to other trials? Tense, complicated, intricate. It is one of the most in terms of all of those topics. I mean, it's a complicated trial. It has taken a lot of focus and a lot of research to just make sure you're on top of everything with all of the uh, different trials that have happened already and now all of the changing testimony 
And uh, we can't wait until tomorrow when we get to hear what Charlie Adelson is going to have to say. And Julia Janae is also an attorney and a three-time Emmy winner as compared to your host, who's only a one-time winner. But Julia, when Georgia rested today, very powerful moment. It came up quickly. It kind of sneaked up on everybody. Did you see it that way when she just abruptly rested? You know, there were people that we were still wondering if they were going to testify. I was wondering if we were going to hear from Rob Adelson, wondering if Sigfredo Garcia was going to be testifying since they were both on the witness list. But they did end their case back in 2022 with Sanford. So I, I was in a way expecting that they would end it uh, with his testimony, with those wiretaps. But it did leave you a little bit wanting something else, kind of that final, maybe emotional witness uh, before resting the case, but they, they won't need it. They have their opportunity in rebuttal and then closing arguments. And there's an interesting question. Julia, I'm going to mute you just because there's some road noise and I'll unmute you so you don't have to worry about it. Um, Margo West says, why can't Wendy's alleged fraud of the court, this is a little off the beaten path, but interesting. Why can't Wendy's alleged fraud of the court, Tim, still be heard? The case that was pending when Dan died, she should still be held accountable, right? Um, well, the case is over. The other party's no longer existent. You can't have a hearing with only one side being there. There's a confrontation element there. Um, no, that's over. I think Kristen Adamson kind of explained it today. It was a non-marital asset, what they call special equity. If someone is given a piece of property or some money before married, if they don't commingle that with the married, then if they get divorced, that's a special equity. It would not be part of the marital divorce. And she does not need to disclose it. And I think that's what Kristen said. We were comfortable that it wasn't a marital asset. Um, so I wasn't surprised they finished with Pat. You always finish with your case agent. And I think what they what they presented, the timeline and the calls was just overwhelming. Not only did it put all the pieces to puzzle and showed the phone calls, it showed what what Sarah said in the beginning. Their communication was like a freight train. One call, next, next. That's exactly what happened with the bump. When the bump happened, the second bump, what happened? Donna called Charlie. Charlie called Katie. Katie called Sigfredo. And what did Charlie say? I don't care what you need to do, who you need to call. We need to nip this in the bud. Well, isn't that what they did to Professor Markell? They nipped him in the bud. I mean, it's all uh, parallel right there. Yeah, freaking Bama, a super sticker, another amazing day with Tim and fantastic commentary. Thank you. Thank you for the super sticker. Big thanks to the COE for making this show happen day after day. So, and uh, here's Nettie Daniel. Thank you for this coverage of the trial and your wonderful mods. Super sticker from Amanda the Yahoo. Thank you. Katie, we were walking out of court. What was, you got emotional today in the hallway. Um, what was it like for you that moment that the state rested and then you find out that, Charlie's going to take the stand. What, what, what kind of roller coaster ride was today? I don't know if we, yeah. I mean, we were talking about at lunch and everything, like what's happening next and everybody's speculating on what, you know, what more witnesses are going to come. And like Julie said, you know, we still had potential other people to come. And I don't know, it just seemed to kind of come out of nowhere because there was a comment that was made about like Katie and an Abraham Lincoln beard. And I was just, you know, like trying to figure that out. And then all of a sudden she says the state rests. I mean, to me, it kind of hit me out of nowhere. The whole Lincoln beard went right over my head. Do you understand it? 
yeah. not exactly. And and I, I and I, I really didn't understand that, but it was like this imagery of Katie and an Abraham Lincoln beard and a top hat. I really didn't know. So here I am like one minute sort of chuckling about that image and then the state rests and it was like just boom, hit me between the eyeballs. And I was just, I was just overwhelmed with all kinds of emotion, like of how impressed I was with the state's case and how I wanted to stand up and applaud for Georgia. I mean, I felt like I just wanted to stand up and I was holding all these feelings in. And so then I went out in the hallway and it was just, they started coming out and just the enormity of this case and the tragedy of it and the intensity of everything just hit me. Tim, did you get the whole Abraham Lincoln thing? Flew yeah, right over my head. What they were trying to say is that extorters normally wear a wig. Remember they were talking about the FBI bump, didn't have a wig. And so mm -hmm. she was comparing it. Well, these are your extorters. You didn't see Katie and Sigfredo with a wig or anything. Trying to compare and contrast what they believe an extorter looks like to what they really were. And don't forget, there it, the trials are chess matches, right? Georgia did not want to give the defense the weekend to prepare the defendant for his testimony. If you can finish on a Wednesday and he's got to call a witness, he's got to testify by Thursday and Friday. You do not want to give him the weekend to prepare. And that's something that's always done. We trial lawyers do it all the time. I'm going to try to extend it so I got the weekend to get my client prepared. The state's going to try to finish so they can't. It makes a big difference. Julia, I'll let you answer why to this question. Is this a death penalty case? Uh, super sticker from Lori Lister. And also, uh, just tell, tell the audience what time you'll be on Court TV tonight so they can tune in. Oh, uh, let me just unmute you. That's my fault. I knew that would happen. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, we'll be on tonight at eight at closing arguments with Vinnie Politan. He is going through every nugget of this case. Uh, for the entire, I think the entire hour and maybe the entire two hours. Uh, but uh, he's going to be taking a closer look, I understand, at Wendy Adelson and what could be the future of uh, things against her in this case. Uh, but in answer to your question about the death penalty, no, this is not a death penalty case. Now, in Florida, it's a capital case because it could have been punishable by the death penalty because he is charged with first-degree murder, but prosecutors would have had to file a notice of intent mm -hmm. to seek the death penalty, and they didn't do that in this case. They did do it in um, Secreto Garcia's yeah. case, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and were not successful in getting death for him. So in, in this case, they aren't seeking it. They would have to file why there are certain things in Florida that you have to qualify for. You have to show that it was heinous and atrocious or that it was for some kind of pecuniary gain, that it was premeditated. They definitely have the, the premeditated element of it and maybe the cold and calculated. Uh, but in this case, they did not seek it. So it is not a death penalty case. This, this, um, jury is going to make their decision. And if they come back with guilty, though, life is life in Florida. And so if yeah. they come back with um, that guilty verdict, then he gets life without parole. The same thing that Sigfredo, same thing that Magbanawa are serving right now. Now I'm getting yelled at for cutting off Tim, not just uh, everyone else. So uh, too rude. Joel, don't cut, up, don't cut Tim off. He is good and knows his S. From Dawn, Donna Lisa. Sorry about that. Uh, Julia Janae, in my opinion, one of the better correspondents at Core TV, an attorney. She knows her stuff. So check her out on Vinnie Politan tonight, who I happen to love. Vinnie's a great guy. Anyone who's good to my mother, I love. And Vinnie's great to my mom. So love Vinnie Politan. And he's from New Jersey. I'm going to keep you on mute. I'll come back to you, Julia. Sonia Slater, Tim. Fantastic coverage and discussion. 
Charlie's parents and family are not at this trial. Does the jury look at that as a negative? You know, I don't know. The, the jury considers a lot of things. They're never going to tell you what they what they what they want to hear. Um, but I will say this: if the whole defense is is that on the June eighteenth they were extorted by Magbanawa and that murder took place, and the Adelsons, including the parents, were extorted. You damn well expect those parents to come up there and confirm the story that they were extorted. And the fact they're not there is something the jury can consider. Now, normally the defendant has no burden to present any evidence whatsoever. But I think what could happen, depending how they do their argument, the state can say, hey, the, the defense has subpoena power just like we do. And if they had any evidence support this, they could call witnesses. Um you got to be tricky how you do that. You don't want to shift the burden. But once they present a case, um, sure, where are the parents at? Why didn't they confirm this? And mm-hmm. But they can't testify because they are precluded from testifying because they failed to sit down for an interview. April Ladivac, uh, thank you for the consistent coverage and great analysis. A super sticker there. H. Moss, Tim's been amazing. I'm going to miss him after the trial. No, you won't, because he's going to be with me covering other trials. So <laughs> going to be on deck. Uh, Julian Nelson Nielsen here says, I am subscribing to the Democrat uh, just to read Tim. That's not a bad idea. Plus, you're supporting local journalism. Of, and I you know, support that for sure. John Smith here. Julia, I'm going to come back to you on this one. Some people have a great way of, I mean, this is a line that should be fed to Georgia. Pretty convenient for the Adelsons that the hitmen hired themselves and they offered the Adelsons mortal enemy up. How nice. It just reeks of desperation, this defense. Julia, you're the attorney. What did you make of it when you heard it? It's a tricky defense, but I do think it's the only way to explain all of the evidence that the state has. So I, in some ways, applaud the defense for coming up with something rather than just complete ignorance and just acting like he had absolutely nothing to do with it and is just surprised because that's impossible. It insults the jury's intelligence. Uh, So they've come up with this theory that he knew about it after the fact, that he talked too much about wishing that uh, Dan would go away, wishing that he could just pay money to make him go away. So it's actually why I'm surprised that he is taking the stand because it's such an intricate theory where his attorney has basically given this reason for everything. But if he gets on the stand and just starts chatting, which even his attorney says he's a chatty person, we've heard him on the recorded phone calls. He's always talking and he he seems to not be able to stop. Uh, I can understand that guilty, (laughs) but uh, I think it's he, he could easily hang himself taking the stand because his entire defense is a very careful one. He has to explain why he still talked to Catherine McVanawa if she was the one blackmailing him, why he didn't seem to be scared about being harmed by Secreto Garcia and Luis Rivera in the time that he's dealing with the bomb. Like he's he's acting like this is brand new, like I've never been blackmailed before and now I got to deal with it. But your defense theory is that you've been blackmailed all this time. Why didn't he automatically think, oh, it's the same blackmailing. I'm getting blackmailed again. So, uh, hey, we love to see a defendant on the stand and hear them tell their side of the story, but I think it is certainly a risk. People are always fascinated to see the defendant, especially a guy like Charlie Adelson, who's uh, 
garrulous, to say the least. Sandy D here, Tim Jansen, this is a legal question, yeah. a super sticker. I thought it was unethical for an attorney to ask a witness questions knowing the answers will be false. How can Rashbaum ask Charlie about a theory that has no evidentiary support? All right, so this is a little tricky. If he's never asked his client what happened and his client tells him this is what happened, he can logically let him tell his story. If the client tells him this is what happened and now we're going to change our defense and we're going to do this and knowing it's not true, the lawyer will go to the court, go to sidebar and say, judge, my client wants to testify. My client needs to testify in the narrative and the judge will nod his head. The prosecution nods their head. You're complying with your your ethical oath. You can't help suborn perjury, but a defendant has the right to testify. Call your client, Mr. Adelson, what do you want to tell us? Um, okay, what else? Is there anything else you want to tell the jury? Okay, anything else? You can't ask specific questions to suborn it. You can allow him to give a narrative. Sometimes jurors don't get it, but... Um, that's how it's it's actually done. Wow, that is super fascinating. Uh, McSpunky can't handle the generosity. It's starting to make me crazy because I feel like I got to buy you a boat. Uh, but he's giving us a super sticker and saying to add it to the bar tab tonight. I will uh, bring Ruth Markell a bottle of wine. Judy D, $5. What was the request for evidence by state from defense at the end of the day? Julia do you, what was the request for evidence? Oh yeah, there was a request for evidence by the state. Are you, do you remember? I know it was a long day. I don't remember. You know, once the state rested, I ran out here to do live yeah. shots. So I am not 100% sure. I know a lot of times they will just ask for, hey, whatever you're uh, going to be putting in, sometimes the stipulations or details that they're going to be sharing with the jury, they need to share that with the prosecution. Uh, but nope, not familiar. Sorry. Yeah, Tim, do you recall that? I know it did happen at the end of the day. Or Katie, do you recall? Yeah. I didn't catch it at all. It was so a long day. But what I'm thinking is the state introduced the Dolce Vita tape. They didn't really play it, right? The whole defense is going to be the Dolce Vita tape. So what he's probably asking, I want that tape so I can play it in my direct. And I'm going to go through it with Charlie. Unlike what the state did, they didn't go through it, right? The tape itself is in evidence, and I'm sure what he's going to do is play a part. Okay, Charlie, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by this? And that's why it could take a while. That's what he has to do. He has to explain it. I'm guessing so, I, didn't, I wasn't in court. But I'm guessing that's what it is. By the way, Jason Lipoff, like a lot of people, I've canceled all my patients tomorrow. <laughs> So I can have a watch party for Charlie's testimony. Interesting. Jason, let us know. I hope you're not like a cardiac uh, surgeon and leaving patients on the table. Elf gifted a membership. Thank you so much. Katie, the jurors, you and I have been talking about the jurors a lot. There's one that's kind of stuck out. Uh, the one who I've been concerned about, because uh, he's he's given interesting reactions to Daniel Rashbaum uh, when he's, you know, in lawyer mode. I, I sort of feel like he had a come to Georgia moment today. But what have you been thinking regarding the jurors in the last day or two? Well, I noticed today that 
none of them took notes during the uh, initial witness for the defense. So their one witness they put on, the only time that they were really picking up their notepads and taking notes was when she was talking about being released by Wendy as her attorney. So, I mean, they, there's certain ones that take notes all the time, especially two, and they were not taking any notes. And I mean, this is their first witness. So that said something to me. They were attentive, very attentive during, I mean, mostly we watched them listen to tapes today. And I would say they were all very attentive, attentive today, some taking notes during those tapes, but um, I, it was noted that they were not taking notes during the witness today for the defense. One was, uh, it, it's so interesting to watch their body language. And I found out Katie is also the child of a psychologist. I'm the son of a psychiatrist, but just watching one of the jurors was literally chewing a pen basically down to the bone uh, as they were listening to these tapes. The tapes really had them engaged. They put on their headphones and they were listening very closely. Lita R Randolph, and I think I can actually answer this one. Is it me or did the undercover cop not, uh, come across as convincing as a friend of a Latin King member. Donna wasn't even sure he was Hispanic. Now he went deep undercover. I actually spoke to him yesterday uh, at some length and he was specifically instructed not to come across too hard. And one of the reasons is they literally just, they worried a little bit about Donna's health and condition. They didn't want to give her a heart attack and have her just collapse. So, you know, when you heard the phone call, and by the way, uh, Katie, I don't think we'd ever heard that call before between the man who ran the bump and Donna Adelson. You could hear the fear in her voice. We'll get to that in a little more detail. When you heard that call play, that was a wiretap call, again, between the guy who delivered the paper and the bump threatening Donna and Donna herself. What do you think of that when you heard that? Well, we had heard snippets of that before, like the very end of it and other little, but not the whole thing. I mean, I was surprised to hear that whole thing. Yeah, she came across as somebody who's, you know, she like her daughter, they're, they yeah. like to act. And she came across as somebody who was acting with bravado, like a teacher and that sort of thing. Like she was acting confident, but she was not confident. And I don't think for one minute she discussed this with 10 or 12 of her friends. I think she was coached by Charlie to say that, that she had discussed this at length with her friends. She kept bringing that up like she had a, an army behind her with this. But no, there's no way she did that. So, um, yeah. And then at the end, she's just sort of defeated and says, what? I'll get back to you. <laughs> uh, Jason Lipoff, I'm not a cardiac surgeon, just a pediatric dentist. That's important since I've got three kids and an old classmate of Charlie's. Very interesting. Jason Lipoff, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. Surviving the survivor at gmail.com. Reach out if you're comfortable. I'd love to get you on to talk about. I heard some interesting stories about Charlie at dental school, a fight that he was in one time. I'd love to corroborate that. Would love to talk to you and maybe get you on as a guest. Lynette Burns, a secret message. I'm resending for Katie Cool Lady, my new favorite groovy lady. She was relentless. That's it. In something inside between Katie Cool Lady mm. and Lynette Burns. Uh, I will let them decipher that. Julia Janae, back to you. And I know Julia's got to run for a live shot, I think in about eight minutes or so. My personal favorite line today was a wiretap call between Katie and Charlie when Katie tells Charlie, coming from a Jewish guy here, you're my third favorite Jew, she says, behind Jesus and Drake. That caught my attention made me laugh. A lot of people have said that to me as well. <laughs> Basically, the strategy here in showing these calls between Katie 
and Charlie post bump is how could this be extortion? They weren't even dating. They're having these long phone calls. They're obviously plotting something in code. How effective was it? Because at one t- at one point I said, are they playing too many wiretaps? Are they playing too many calls? Your take. Yeah, you get to see just this complicated, winding nature of their relationship. It's a bit intriguing that they're not together, but they are together. They are having these fights after the bump about who's supposed to call back the undercover agent. But then there's other ones where they're really flirty. And she's talking about, hey, I want you to adopt my kids. And I know it's a joke, but you don't joke like that if it's someone that you are extorting money from. And if you're the one being extorted, why? You know, he's going to have to explain that tomorrow. I mean, the cross is going to be epic when uh, Charlie Adelson is done with his testimony because he can be cross with all of these words that he said. But their relationship really seems to have this trust that's weird, that they have each other's back no matter what, to the point that Catherine McVanawaugh was willing to go through two trials and not turn on him or flip on him until now, which is uh, many, many, many years later. Uh, Yala says, Joel, you're definitely before Drake after <laughs> Jesus. Can't blame you for that. And I appreciate even being ahead of, of Drake. I didn't expect to be ahead of Jesus. Jane Brown, 999 super sticker. Thank you very much. Another one from I Got Some Paperwork. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. And look at this. Another one from, what does that say? Love my, can you read that? Love my veto something. That grid. Oh, love my, yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, I want the Markells to sue Donna, Tim Jansen, Harvey. I want the Markells to sue Donna, Harvey, and Wendy. Wouldn't that force them to give a deposition and sink them financially? There's so much evidence. Love what you guys do. Thank you. What about a civil case when this is all said and done, Tim? Is that something that the Markells, in your opinion, can and should pursue? Well, if they did pursue it, they would be able to depose them. Um, If it and they didn't get a summary judgment. Um, I, I don't know. I don't do enough civil law, and I don't like to say anything about civil law if I don't know it, because then I say something. And well, Tim, say, can, they invoke their, can they invoke their Fifth Amendment right in a civil case? They, they could. They could, but that can be held against them. And they'll Julia? proceed. They can proceed without their testimony. I'm sorry. I well, thought you were done. I'm going to get yelled at again. Go ahead, Julia. I was going to say that it brings up something that, you know, happened across the street from us, Florida Capitol, the Grandparents Act that the Markells were able to get passed here. It allows for grandparents to have those rights if a civil court even finds that a parent may have had something to do with the loss of the other parent. Uh, so I don't know if they maybe they're waiting on these criminal trials before they go there, but We've seen that over and over again where criminal cases will fail, but a civil case Mm -hmm. after the fact, a jury will find it's more likely than not. It may not be on a reasonable doubt, but more likely than not that you had something to do with the death of the other spouse. So, And and Julia, uh, Charlie Adelson was sworn in today by Judge Everett (laughs) and Judge Everett more than once sort of half jokingly said, this gives you time if you have a change of heart. Well, there's a question here. From D. Mart, any chance Charlie would change his mind tonight? What do you think? Yeah, well, Judge Everett did what every judge has to do when a defendant is about to take the stand. He has to ask him, do you understand that you have this right, that you um, are thinking soberly, that you've 
discussed it at length with your attorneys. And he did mention that he wasn't going to tell the jurors about it because there are defendants who, if they've given enough time, they may change their mind. And that could be prejudicial against him if the jury comes back and they're like, you told us he was going to take stand and he doesn't. So I think that was definitely prudent on the judge's part. I can't see a reason why he would change his mind. Like he's made the decision against all odds to do this in the face of the wiretaps that were played today, unless his attorneys didn't agree with him taking the stand, then they have will be having more time to go over things with him to perhaps let him see it in a different light. But I think if he's come this far and he wants to talk, it's not going to change overnight. And uh, Julia has about four minutes left. I'm going to go to Tim for a question, come back and let her wrap up her thoughts. Ginger Launder gives us a sticker uh, from Oregon. Can't wait for tomorrow. So excited. Can't imagine what's going through Charlie's head tonight. And by the way, uh, thank you, Marion Engel. Uh, Here's a comment from Felix the Cat. What about Dan's grandmother's Holocaust ring? That's something that came up. It was a family heirloom. It came up uh, during the divorce proceedings. I asked Stephen Webster, who was Dan Markell's divorce attorney, and he has no idea where that ring is. The presumption is that Wendy Adelson never gave it back to Dan Markell, which is just horrific because that's not an issue about value of a diamond. That is something much more important. So maybe one day the Adelsons will get some dignity and return that to the Markell family. Tim Jansen, before we head back to Julia to say goodbye, it was interesting. On uh, one of the calls, Katie, and this is after the bump, Katie's screaming at Charlie, and I wrote a note to myself, Mm -hmm. This sure doesn't sound like a double extortion plot. Katie's pissed at Charlie, not the other way around. She was threatening to go to the FBI. Does the mastermind of an extortion plot go to the FBI? Uh, How does Rashbaum get around that? And he has so many hurdles. He can't get around it. The more you hear these people call and the more they talk, we finally got to see the real Katie, not the one that came in and testified. You got to see the real Katie, the way she talked to Sigfredo about how she treats he treated her like shit. And then we see how she treats Charlie, how she was pissed. And then they want us to believe that the godfather of her children and the village idiot coordinated this murder with no money, right? That Mag Bonawa and Segfredo, who couldn't even get the number of the, the call the FBI bump, calculated, organized, and and committed this murder, and then they extorted this very wealthy family. It's beyond ludicrous. I mean, I I don't know how to say it any more than that. Uh, Well, say it one more time, because I think, Tim, I caught you. I couldn't hear what you were saying today because I'm in the courtroom. And by the way, Meve Moen's $9 Casio watch beeps at the top of every hour and everyone around us has a heart attack. And every time it happens, his arm, which is not there when money is needed, but his arm flails in the air every time that Casio beeps at the top. It's one minute before the hour, every hour on the hour. Which which part did you miss? Which part did you miss? Say that again. You were going to say you missed something that I just explained. Oh, no, no. I think there was something here. So, um, I think you mentioned this in terms of conspiracy. At one point, Kate, uh, Charlie says to Katie, if they're effing with you, they're effing with me. Right. Either Katie and Charlie or Charlie. And right. that just shows conspiracy, doesn't it, Tim? It does. Just like when the first bump, the mom is talking to Charlie, who does it involve? And she says, 
probably the two of us. Probably the two of us. That, they're talking all the code they want, but she's letting them know, you and me, Charlie, what we did, it's going to, the two of us. That's what co-conspirators uh, do. Co-conspirators talk in code. People being extorted don't talk in code to their, to their blackmailers. It's simple as that. Marion Engel, hi from Denmark. Love your channel. Uh, Julia Janae is going to have to get going in a sec. Julia, there's a question here from Rob uh, Lube, L-I-U-B. Donna's call to the FBI agent, I have to agree with this comment, sounded like she was literally reading from a script written in advance. Agree or disagree, Julia? Oh, good question. I think she definitely had some bullet points, if nothing else. She mm -hmm. kept hitting the same comments, telling them they should go to the police if they wanted 100000 that she didn't have 5000 which we know she did because she had a million that she wanted to pay Dan Markell. Uh, she's saying that I've talked to 11 or 12 friends, exact number of friends that she has talked to. And then there are moments where I think she's kind of being real, where she's just like, I've been dealing with the stress of this. I just can't. I've been dealing with my daughter. I've been dealing with my grandchildren, the stress of it. It almost seems like that may be, if not uh, off script, but still her trying to just plead with this person. But I think at the end of the day, they were, well, we know they were sure we're not dealing with a Latin King's friend. We're dealing with an officer because the more that we heard the back and forth, it very much sounded like someone who also had a script. I think the agent at one point sounded very scripted as well. So, And Julia, in your final moments here, before you go to uh, closing arguments with Vinnie Politan, what are you looking for in the closings tomorrow? Uh, well, first, I'll be looking for Charlie's testimony. I want to see what the state may rebut with if they call any witnesses. Um, but in the closings, I just want the state to really explain, perhaps, to the jury how they have to focus on Charlie, despite the fact that they've talked a lot about Donna and Wendy, and make sure that the jurors don't question that empty chair, because... They may have, a jury probably did that here back in 2019 when Catherine McManawa was in the hot seat, but Charlie Adelson was not. We ended up with a hung jury. I don't think that's going to hang a jury this time because there's a lot of evidence and Charlie is, according to the prosecution, the mastermind. But I think they, they have to explain that in the best way they can. They don't have to legally, but I think that would help this jury quickly move through this evidence. Julia, thank you so much. I know you've got a super busy schedule. We appreciate you uh, coming on and we will get you back on to discuss other cases. Please say hi to uh, Vinny from me and my mother. Absolutely. Will. thank you for having us on. All right. We'll get you back on. Thanks a lot. Have a great show. Tim, there's a question here from Jane O'Hara. And then I want to talk to Katie about Charlie because we've talked about the jurors. Can Georgia asked Charlie about his mother, why he kept calling her if she was not involved. Certainly he can call. And is that before the bump or after I think the murder? I think it's, it's all, all of the above. Well, I, 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 well, I, not only that, would you say, okay, Charlie, you call your mother. Why are you talking in code with your mom? Why does your mom talk in code with you? What is that all about? Do you have a normal conversation? You ever call your mom and say, hey, mom, I need some milk? You never heard any of those calls. It was always in code. Everything was in code. 
And everything was to protect the father. We can't let the father know. And I wonder if the father was such a inability to control his relations or whatever, his temper, he was going to break the code or going to say something that could have damaged their, their, their little conspiracy. Um, they've certainly buffered him from a lot of this. And then the only time we saw him was at that restaurant where you really couldn't hear the conversation. Um, I, I listened, I tried to listen to it, but you couldn't really hear what he said uh, at that, that sushi restaurant. But she can certainly ask about the mom and the calls. She can go through each one and say, why are you talking in code here? Why'd you go meet your mom? You know, I think he's going to answer that on direct. He's going to say they were being extorted and the mom was afraid they already killed the son-in-law and now they were afraid they were going to get killed. Well, why don't you go to the cops? Why don't you go to the FBI? <laughs> you know, they had a chance. All good questions. Logical, but they're not logical. Michael Faraday, uh, super sticker here. I can't believe if Charlie really was being threatened, he wouldn't have mentioned it to his mother, considering their close relationships. I was watching Charlie today, and all I want to do was call my mom, uh, and I wasn't even Charlie, but I was terrified for him. Uh, this is an interesting comment here from Chia ba Bawa to you, Katie. One of the images that stuck with me, Katie saying when she opened Charlie's door that night of July 18th, Charlie had a gun waving it around and gave her Xanax. Was he thinking of getting rid of a witness? You know, that crossed my mind as well. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure that out. He obviously sounded disjointed at the very least. Did you read anything into that? I didn't read that into it, but that is an interesting um, mm -hmm. thought about that. I mean, I think he was so deep into it with Katie at that point, and he was like probably super hyped up and paranoid that it was just sort of general paranoia. But to to use that, to step off of that, something came up that I had not heard before today. Fancy said she had heard it in that one wiretap, I mean, at um, Matsuri, where it's through the perforated bag. But Charlie says something. He drops something to his mother in that last wiretap that we heard before lunch that I thought was the most powerful one, Charlie with his mother. And he says something about realizing or thinking that who is doing the bump is a private investigator hired by the Markells. And after he seems to have put that together, now in his mind, he's figured out who it is. Then he and Katie have this incredible relief because they've figured out. I'd never heard that before. This was this was new to me today. Fancy said she had heard that before, but had you heard that before? I had not heard that. Yeah. And that sort of made sense why he had this relief because he's like, okay, now it's not the cops coming after us. Now it's not the, a gang member coming after us. It's just some random private investigator that that family, and they always thought they were elevated over that family anyway and had all this power over the, the lowly Markels. So that's all that was. And so they had this great relief, like that's nothing. And that next call with Katie. And I thought that was really interesting today. You know, so, Joe, I, was go just, ahead, I was just thinking right now, if I'm Georgia Kappelman and I'm doing the closing argument, I would stand up and say, you remember the witness that he was, that was suing, he was suing him, the guy that we know, I can't remember his name, who did work for him. S say that one more time. I, I missed the beginning of that. The, the witness, the guy, the young guy, Got there yeah. whatever the hell he wanted. I can't remember his name. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick testified in this courtroom that Charlie Adelson, the defendant, said you can get away with murder if you keep quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what? If we didn't have these recordings and his words, 
he would have done just that. The most damning evidence against Charlie is the recordings and his own words. And we played them for you. All right. Uh, look, look at this. Lindsay Shea, love Julia, Tim, and Katie Cool Lady all seem so genuine. They are. I don't know if I can say that for myself, but they are for sure. Um, <laughs> we talked about the jurors, Katie, but Charlie Adelson, when the state rested today and when some of those recordings were playing, I looked over, I had a vantage point. He was, and I hadn't seen this before, he had that restless leg syndrome. His legs started shaking pretty violently. What's What's been your take of him in the courtroom? By the way, big guy. I didn't realize how big he was. I'm about 5'10", 5'11". I thought he was my height. And then when I was finally next to him when he stood up, he's got to be 6'1", 6'2", but he's wide too. He's he's big guy, thick guy. Uh, what, 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 what observations do you have of him in the courtroom? Well, I see him from the back like you do because I sit over... I sit only on the defense side simply because I want to have a view of the jurors and that's the best view over there. Um, so I don't really see him that much, but when I go home and watch the stream, I mean, to me, he looks kind of like a broken person. He doesn't look like the maestro that they're seeing, they're hearing on those tapes. So that makes the impact of the tapes even more powerful because sometimes you look over him, he's so pale. He looks sort of pitiful to me. He doesn't look like he has that bravado that he had before. So now they can hear like, oh, this is how Charlie really was then. Um, and maybe that nervous thing that you saw was he knew he was going to testify. And uh, frankly, I get maybe a sick pleasure out of the fact that he's like all geared up to testify. And now he has to wait another day because I don't know about you. If I'm going to get all the way to the line to the roller coaster, I want to get on the roller coaster right that minute. I don't have to go back to bed and do it all again the next day. Yeah, he, was about, he was about to throw up. I could see him on. He was about to throw up and he said a little prayer and the camera honed in on him and you could see him mouthing words. He was saying a prayer or whatever he was saying, trying to build himself up. He looked like he was about to throw up um, right towards when they were going to have him testify. It was, it after, was surreal. After the state rested, I saw him talking to himself. He was, it was more like muttering. I think he was, what you were saying, Tim, trying to build himself up, knowing that he, that he knew at that point that he was going to take the stand. We didn't. Uh, George F. Deere says, this is the best live show by far today. All the others were not even close. Thank what can you. I tell you? Yeah, <laughs> what can I tell you? You have Tim Jansen. And uh, look at this. Look who's entering the fray right now. There he, there is. he is. John Singer, your thoughts? Uh, that's a very open-ended question. Uh, on, on purpose. It's been an incredible uh, five days. What can you say? I mean... It's been uh, high drama. Um, I think the prosecution's done a really good job. Um, I think I'm in the minority on the import of Katie Magnanimous testimony. I, I felt that she wasn't nearly as strong as I thought she would be um, or that she needed to be for the prosecution. I thought that she was weak. She was scant on details. And I think she said one thing that Rashbaum is really gonna seize upon in his closing. She said the reason why she didn't take the immunity deal was because she didn't want to implicate the father of her children, which is Sigfredo Garcia. That would have made sense if there had only been one trial in 2019. But by 2022, when she had her second trial, Sigfredo Garcia had already been sentenced to life two and a half years earlier. His appeal was not going to succeed. So at that point, who was she protecting? 
But but she did say it because it was on appeal. They asked her. My mom asked her that, and she goes, "It was on appeal." I know, but at that, I mean, her the likelihood of that appeal succeeding, yeah, is infinitesimal. So I I thought that that's something that's going to come back um, to the prosecution in in their closing. I don't think for one second the prosecution wanted to put her on, and that was not their intent. They had to when this cuckamamie theory was introduced by Rashbaum during his opening. He made it a necessity for Katie to get up there, but Georgia had her on and off really quickly. Mm-hmm. Did you guys think that when she was going through her direct, that she had really specific granular details, that she had a manila envelope that she didn't open, it was in her diaper bag, um, Secreto picked it up out of her diaper bag, she thought it was Halloween, she didn't know Dan Markell's name, it was sort of mentioned, but then it was mentioned in the context of hurting someone. I just didn't think she was that great. And again, when you have trials, there trials are like basketball games. There's so many oscillations during the during the course of the trial. One team makes a run, the other makes a run. There's ups and downs. But at the end of the day, the theory makes no sense. So we can debate all we want how Katie did, how Junin Chimda did, how um, Corbett did. It, it doesn't at the end of the day matter. If these are smart jurors, and and, and Joel and, and Katie, you guys have been in the courtroom. I don't know if Tim, you have, but. You're, you're taking the temperature of the jurors. You see if they're paying rapt attention or not. The theory that, that Rashbaum all, that articulated makes zero sense. And that, at the end of the day, is what I think is going to carry uh, the prosecution and, and, and result in the uh, conviction. Maui Swift. Ruth Martell was asked about a civil suit, which we discussed earlier on a podcast. And she said because their relationship with Wendy is precarious, they didn't want to lose all access to the grandchildren. And uh, that is probably the likely answer as to why they haven't done anything. They're in essence held hostage. John Singer, a great legal mind. We asked Tim Jansen, an equally great legal mind, what the defense was doing tonight. And he said that Rashbaum is headed over to the jail and is going to sit with Charlie for four or five hours and lay this all out. What is Georgia Kappelman? What are she and Sarah Dugan doing tonight? I think what they're doing is is they're combing the transcripts very carefully from the last several days because the cross-examination, when, when you're preparing it, it's, I'm, I'm sure Tim would agree, it's, it's a lot more fun to prepare a cross-examination line than it is to prepare direct because you're creating this mosaic to eviscerate somebody, right? And what you're doing is you're, you're framing your questions around the documents that you're gonna use, depending on what you get as an answer, right? So depending on what Charlie says, the prosecution will have two sets of documents ready or two sets of areas to go in after that. So they're combing through the transcripts, they're combing through the documents, they're honing their outline, they already have an outline for Charlie. They already know what calls they're gonna use with him. They already know what uh, the wiretaps are gonna use. They know what portion of Dolce Vita they're gonna play with him. They know which text they're gonna use. But you know, there's been a lot of testimony adduced over the last five days that they have to comb through and, and, and really prepare and sharpen for Charlie. And John, real quickly, Rashbaum's been hinting at this and he did it again today because he said to Pat Sanford, the FBI agent, he said, did you get the whole Dolce Vita tape? No, they were in the car for 15 minutes. It went on and on about that. Obviously, one of his strategies is going to be, it's like a game of telephone that we only heard bits and pieces. And what what the listeners are hearing 
isn't what the true context and content of the exchange was. Is that going to fly? It's not going to fly. But, you know, again, he's been telegraphing that since the Arthur Herring um, at the Arthur Herring a year ago, September. He stated very clearly that um, that Dolce Vita was something he was going to use and it was taken out of context. And this line about the airport and the evidence, what he's going to say about that um, in his closing and what, what Charlie's going to say in his direct is if they had any evidence of the extortion, we would have gone to the airport because they would have tried to kill us. In other words, the airport comment is going to be used offensively by Rashbaum to say that if there was any evidence that was known um, to the police vis-a-vis -vis the extortion attempt, it was very possible at that point that Secreto could have killed us so that we would have gone to the airport not to flee prosecution, but to flee the killers. He's going... 100% chance he's going to say that. Um, he's going to, every word on that Dolce Vita recording is going to be used by him to comport with his theory that this was double extortion. It, it's such a ludicrous theory, though. I mean, and, and again, I don't think Georgia, I think everybody's waiting for a Perry Mason moment tomorrow with Charlie. Um, if she gets to cross tomorrow, maybe it bleed into Friday. She's going to make points with him. There's no question about it. But the most important thing for her will be the summation because witnesses are tough, man. He's, he's, he's a liar. His sister's a liar. They're going to be an agile witness. He's going to be probably an agile witness. Liars often make very hard witnesses to, to cross-examine. At the end of the day, she'll take those implausible stories and those implausible lies, and she'll put it into a neat package for the jury in her summation. So... I, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be high drama. I'm sure she's going to make a lot of points. It's, I don't think it's going to be a beatdown. I don't know what you think, Tamara, Katie, but my, my opinion is, is that, you know, it's going to be all about the closing for her. Yala here. Question for Tim. Then I'm circling, circling back to Katie. What's the state's strategy on cross? What are they going to focus on Tim Jansen? Well, if I'm the state, I'm going to use Charlie's own words against him. That's the most effective way, because those are the words when even when he thought he was being recorded or talking in code, everything he said, the way he said it, who he said it to is inconsistent with the story he's telling you now. And you just walk down the line. I agree with John. We're probably not going to get a Perry Mason where someone he confesses, puts his head down. But you're going to get enough of those inconsistencies that he's got this rehearsed already story. He's probably got a rehearsed answer. They they probably done a mock trial. They probably cross-examined him on everything. He's got a canned answer for everything. But they may not have gone through every question like they will. That shows this is just not common sense. It defies logic. Um, and then in closing, I think that um, I think Sarah might do the cross-examination tomorrow, John. Um, she did a really good job against uh, Katie. And, you know, when you divvy these trials up, one will do that, and then Georgia will do the closing. So I think Sarah might do the uh, – she's really good, too. She did a good job cross-examining uh, Katie, but that was an easy witness to cross. I, I also agree that I didn't think they wanted to call Katie. They really didn't want to, but because of this theory of defense, they got her in and out. And you see that he's already been attacking Agent uh, Sanford about Katie, and he's going to do that in his closing. Just, Joel, one thing I wanted to add to my last answer, you said, what's the prosecution doing? 
So there was one thing Wendy test. I'll give you an example. One, one thing Wendy testified to in this trial, which she did not say in the last two, was that on the next day, it was July 19th, um, when her parents came up to Tallahassee, that her father didn't sleep for two days. He was he had his chair parked um, next to her door on Aqua Ridge to make sure that she was safe because there were these killers out there. That's something the prosecution is going to use against Charlie because the night before, per their ridiculous theory, Charlie knew who the killers were. He knew they had driven from Miami. He knew they drove back. He knew they drove back to Miami, right? So there couldn't have been some random shooter out there that was going to come next for Wendy and the kids. Like Charlie was going to let his family just think that and let Wendy be in fear and then let her move closer to the killers, right. which is, I mean, it's ridiculous. And then the thing that George is going to really seize upon is when Secreto was arrested in June of 2016. At that point, Charlie was no longer in danger because the two extorters were now behind bars, Rivera and Garcia. So at that point, he doesn't tell Wendy what happened to the father of her children. He only tells Donna. It's so implausible yeah. and, and so ridiculous. Martha wants to know from Tim, if Charlie Adelson were your client, would you have advised him to take the stand? I guess at this point, would you be forced? Well, he kind of forced him to take the stand with his opening statement. They'd come up with this. I don't know where they created this defense. Maybe they saw all the evidence and this is the only defense that could fit the money and all this stuff. And you're in, the, you know what they say, you're in the, you're in the pool. And now you got to swim. Um, they're kind of stuck. This is their defense. And Charlie's going to, Sink or swim on his own. Ned Smith says Donna was pleading here, Katie, cool lady, with a supposed gang member to understand how stressed out she was about this. What did you make of that call? That wiretap call was fascinating to me. I do think it was partly scripted. She sounded pathetic. How did she come across to you? Well, we saw how Charlie coached Katie, right, about this is what you're going to say and you're going to say it's for charity and all that kind of stuff. So he's good at that. You know, he did the same thing with Donna. I was actually wondering if Charlie was sitting there right next to her when she did that call. You know, I mean, that would make sense to me, too, if he was like, say this, say this, you know, writing things down. Um, she was clearly stressed out. She was clearly coached to keep saying the same things over and over and over again. But, you know, there were times when she seemed pretty confident and I'm like, this is that personality type. Wendy's the same way. Wendy's cool as a cucumber when she's lying through her teeth. Donna has those elements in her too, you know? Um, it's a very sick family. By the way, another line, John Sanger, you missed my favorite line of the day, was when Katie told Charlie that he he was her third favorite Jew after Jesus and Drake. Uh, <laughs> but this was my this was this is my next favorite line after that. I thought you might appreciate that. <laughs> That's a good one. She said, uh, Charlie himself said, and I quote here, there's a lot of, and he used the word, but there's a lot of effing crazy people out there. He was talking to his mother, I think, at that point. And I was like, this guy's literally talking about himself. There's no one crazier than this guy. To you, Katie, you brought this to my attention because we've been watching these jurors very closely. And one of them who's sitting in the front row, um, you say, is a former jury foreperson. What do you think that? means for this whole process because this guy's obvi obviously been through it before if that's the case well i know they were asked both sides were asking a lot of questions about leaders 
And, you know, what is your leadership? What is your independent thinking? Both sides were asking that. If I'm going to say something, Georgia Kaplman has the same skills as those high-priced jury consultants. I watched her ask the same questions they were asking. They didn't have any razzle-dazzle that she didn't have. So she picked a good jury all on her own and didn't cost a million dollars, whatever they paid those people to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I just took that as somebody, one of the sides or the other, once once leadership and independent thinkers. There's a lot of people on that jury, though, that were leaders, that were answering those questions that in their job, they have a leadership, they manage people. Um, there's quite a few in there that I remember during that had asked, answered those questions like that. John Singer, a question from Jason Truth. Love the last name. Hey, Joel, Tim, and other guests, could Charlie be on the stand for longer than one day? I think it would take at least two days because we all know how much Charlie <laughs> loves to talk. Very loquacious, LOL. Another word I would use, garrulous. I know Singer, no, I call him Johnny SATs. That's his <laughs> new name. But Singer, um, what uh, what's your take? Because the guy can talk for days, but does Rashbaum have to keep him reined in? Yeah, I mean, if, if Rashbaum doesn't, the judge will. I mean, it's not uh, it's not a free-flowing, extemporaneous exercise for Charlie to get up there and spew his knowledge of, of the world. It's a Q&A. You're not talking in an unfettered way. It's going to be contained. I do think it could bleed into Friday um, because there's going to be a lot to cover from both sides with him. And again, when you're playing wiretaps, you're playing, you know, Dolce Vita, those things just take time, right? So I, I don't, my get my best guess is he'll be on the stand into Friday and they'll have closings on Monday, hopefully, or maybe Tuesday. But um, one thing that really surprised me about this trial, and I wanted to ask him and Katie and Joel also what you guys, what you think. Normally in a trial, there, there's a, a division of labor that takes place. I mean, you see it with the prosecution, you know, Sarah did the opening um, George has done most of the the critical witnesses. Sarah's done several as well. Other than the attorney today, the very unlikable attorney for Wendy Adelson who testified, and I thought Georgia should have eviscerated her. I yeah. thought off easy. As an aside, Myers hasn't done anything. Rashbaum did the opening. He's going to do the closing. He's done every witness. He's done fact witnesses. He's done the experts. He's done everything, which is really rare in a case like this, and especially with a very deep-pocketed defendant like Charlie, you, you would think that it would be more of a robust legal team. Having said that, and I've seen a lot of the criticism that's been online about Rashbaum, and I, I get that there's a bias here. We, we all are on the same page. We all want the same thing. We want the Adelsons to go down. And maybe I'm a little immunized because I practice in New York, but I think he's doing a good job. I do. I think he had to come up with a theory. He had no choice. We've we've spoken, Tim and I have spoken since day one, that Charlie was going to testify, that he had to come up with something. You can't just in, impeach the credibility of witnesses. The theory is too strong. The wiretaps are too strong. He came up with something. It's ridiculous, but he had to do it. I think he's doing a very good job. Now, again, I'm not from Tallahassee. I'm not watching the jurors. Maybe his style is too abrasive, but... Curious to what you all think about the job he's doing. I, I think he's very prepared, and I think he's he's a good examiner, um, but curious to see what, what you guys all think. I'm going to hop in there right off the bat and agree with John Singer that I think he's obviously he has his back against the wall. 
However, I'm watching him from a sort of a humanistic standpoint, if you will, and he defers a lot in court to the state, almost comes across as deferential, dare I say, use the word meek. And what I would expect, and maybe I'm partial because I'm from New York and New Jersey, I'm expecting a Tim Jansen or a John Singer, someone very refined, someone very polished, someone in a nice suit, tailor-made, and he's a little schlubby, nice guy, said hello to him in the hallway, no doubt about his character. He's got a job to do and he's doing it, but he just seems to me like he's in over his head. Katie? Yeah. I mean, I'm not speaking as a lawyer, obviously, but I'm talking about like style points. For one thing, he took second chair through that entire jury selection process. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. His first impression was it's a little short guy sitting in between two tall guys in the middle. So now he has to dig himself out of that hole to start his case. Then he takes the lectern on the prosecution's turf. So he doesn't even move the lectern even into the middle. So he has to move literally around their desk. I mean, to me, just the optics of that is subservient. He stands up to object and he just stands there over and over. The judge has to say, do you have something to share with the class? I mean, he just doesn't even say the word objection. He just stands there over and over and over. He has done that. So he's not commanding. That's my thing. I think that's a style thing, but he's not vigorously. He's not objecting to any of the voir dire of the experts, whether he has a, a, a point or not. Usually defense attorneys are at least getting something in there to like, just put a little seed of doubt. Maybe this expert isn't so expert. He does nothing. He defers to the state. Oh, your expert's just fine. Oh, I'm not going to object on that. So I think he just does not present as a commanding presence for Charlie, in my opinion. By the way, shout out to Dr. Vonda Kay. I agree with you. Uh, super sticker to help with Vita, Zizi, and Judah's Halloween treats. They got. I'm going to steal those when I get home if they're not all gone. Katie, I love, right hear, I love hearing your non-lawyer review. Because we love, we love to hear that because we all have our styles, right? Some take command of the courtroom. Sometimes you do things just to let the other side know you're there. You know you're going to lose something. I've always questioned why they had the jury, this expert. I think that was a mistake. They should have had maybe two or three lawyers and divvying up the job. It would have been better because you have a double team. I think Dan's getting worn out. And it's hard to do that. You know, John, on your feet, six hours, cross-examination, objections, and then the next witness is coming. You're not fresh, and it just wears you out. He would have been better served having at least one other equal lawyer taking witnesses. I think he could have done better. I don't think he's an aggressive lawyer. I don't think he's a bad lawyer. I think he's got a bad case. The theory's not great. Uh, his defendant's making faces the whole trial. And um, he could have done better, could have been more aggressive, um, but that's his style and he's doing the best he can. To me, his co-counsel is exponentially outclassed. She's just like, uh, she's not She's like a wallflower. Yeah, she does. Go ahead, John. Hey, um, I had a question. I had a legal question for Tim. The, the prosecution, is doing a great job. There's no question about it. Um, right. They've been great in the last two trials. There, there have been excellent in this one as well. The one thing, though, that that I was sort of dismayed by 
was when Junam Shinda was on the witness stand and she was on yeah. cross, which is really a direct from Rashbaum because she was friendly to the defense, not the prosecution. Rashbaum asked her a series of questions and he said to her, isn't it, is, it's true, isn't it, that, um, that Charlie Adelson got cameras in his house and barbed wire and all that other stuff within two weeks after the um, first extortion attempt on July 18th. So they were trying to buttress the theory with her that Charlie was actually extorted on the 18th and he had to get all this prophylactic equipment in order to stave off any further attempts. Those should have all been objected to because that was what we call in the legal world assuming facts not in evidence right there's no facts in evidence right that that he bought the equipment on july 18th or at or about the time or that he had barbed wire or that he bought more guns she just let that go yeah. i don't know what you guys thought i mean that that to me was was fairly compelling testimony because if you're going to buttress the theory that you were extorted and you were in fear you're going to start doing stuff to prevent that from happening again you're going to buy cameras you're going to buy a gun you're going to buy barbed wire he just let they george just let that go yeah a couple of times some objections could have been made and absolutely one, she made the, she made the wrong objection um and then she didn't make any objection and at one point he was just testifying if you see he was he wasn't even looking at the witness he was looking at the jury when he was and and that's when you know someone is just testifying when they're not even looking at the witness and asking a question. And it really wasn't a question. Uh, it was argumentative. Um, and there was assuming facts that were not in evidence. Um, I agree with you. I think she missed a lot of objections. That, that's hey, John, good. So John Singer, I was going to ask you, have any of your clients, your clients, asked you how come you know so much about this case and have any of them fired you yet? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> No, because that's an awfully nice bar behind you. So I hope that you're helping your own clients and you're not like this uh, dentist. who's. Are you taking the day off tomorrow to watch uh, Charlie's I, testimony? I may take the day off tomorrow. Because, <laughs> <laughs> this case, I mean, you know, as Paul Newman said in The Verdict, my, my favorite movie of all time because it's based in Boston. You know, there'll never be another case. This is the craziest case of all time. This is insane. And. Hopefully there's going to be three more, right? I mean, hopefully this isn't the end. And I don't hey, John, mean John, John, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you and I have been on the same page about Donna. Yeah. I listened to these recordings today. I think they have enough to charge Donna, certainly for conspiracy. I thought they had enough to charge Donna right after she said, this TV is going to cost five. It involves yeah. us. You probably know what I'm talking about. I mean, right. how much more do you need? The, 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 by the way, the, it was so hard to listen to that lawyer today. Um, when lawyer testify about um, how, you know, it's very commonplace to offer someone significant sums of money to relocate. That's when does that ever happen? And why didn't Georgia say to her, is it also commonplace to try to dress uh, Jewish kids in Hitler youth costumes? As <laughs> I was waiting for, is it commonplace for one of your clients, ex-spouses to get murdered? Right. Interesting. I, I Tim, would you, Tim, would you, Tim, would you have asked that? Would you have yes, asked that? Yes, yes. Is it commonplace that a spouse uh, would be murdered? I mean, I, that's such a I mic drop. No, I've never had anybody get murdered before. 
See, I, I feel I, like, you know, again, I don't want to beat up on Rashbound, but I feel like he's too nice to pull mm-hmm. a line like that. But, Tim, you pulled it. Maybe you're not that nice, Tim. I don't know. Go ahead. I'm not, not in court. I'm not in court. <laughs> I'm not in court. I can tell you, you that. Do you believe for one second that Donna was only – she only met Donna one time, the lawyer, at the relocation hearing? Donna was on every single one of those calls. Every one of those strategy calls Donna was on with that lawyer. I didn't believe that for one Second, I think Georgia at that point said, I got what I need. She this had enough. Burger. She was, yeah, she this was done with her. List. I don't really care what this what this person's saying. Get her on and off. Let's get to the main event and let's get to summations. Are we really quibbling about the fact that she wanted to relocate? Is that really going to be an argument in this case I, I, for motive? I don't think the jury's going to consider that at all. Right. Right. Let's get through this question and I'm going to pivot back to cool lady because I took notes on the Donna call with the uh, bump man. And then we'll pivot towards uh, some more and and let John Singer get to that bar. Law RN says, I don't fully understand this question, Tim Jansen, but I'm going to throw this to you. How will it go over if Charlie plays dumb? Like I want a question to Charlie explain what Donna means about this. The TV is a question that must be asked. That's what grabbed my attention. Mm-hmm. How is that going to be handled by the state tomorrow about these TV repairmen uh, cheaper than hiring a hitman jokes? Well, they're going to have to be careful. You don't want to ask the question. It's open-ended. You give Charlie a way to, to fill it in with something that fits his defense. They got to get him in a corner. They got to lock him in that corner. Um, if you don't know the answer, I wouldn't ask it. I'd stick with the points that you know the answer and you can hit them. Make them look bad. Don't give him a chance to raise back up and get his confidence. So I think it, we have to wait and see what happens on direct. I think that Rashbaum will have, try to explain that indirect, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, Allie gave us a super sticker. Excellent coverage from Tim Jansen. Great guest. Love to the entire SGS Nation. Very kind of you. Thank you. So, and here's Janice Winch, retired English lawyer here. Love your channel. So privileged to see the U.S. system in action. Thank you, Barrister Winch. Love that. Uh, we've got an attorney from the U.K. So this call, I, I took the notes, so I'm certainly going to let you know that I took the notes. It's, car, it's a car move, but I'm doing it today. This call was between Donna and the person who set up the bump, and it was fascinating to listen to. Starts off, Donna's really nice, and then she immediately goes, sounded like me, saying how stressed out she was, which is hilarious considering this guy is allegedly either a Latin King member or connected to a Latin King gang member. So she says, so stressed out. She says, I don't know your friend that you're talking to. I never spoke to him. I don't know his name. He eventually jumps in, the bump man, and says, you know exactly who it is. She says, I don't know who he is. If I could help, I could help. We know you had a big problem up north. All that's being asked for is 5K. I lost my ex-son-in-law, Donna says. Then the bump man says, Tato, meaning Luis Rivera or Sig, I I always forget which is which, told me everything. Donna says, it's not me. I've had a year of aggravation. I've had a year of aggravation. Not me. It wasn't me. The bump man says, this is not going away. On and on it goes. Is there any way, Katie Kool-Aidy, before I get to the lawyers on this, that a juror is going to look at that and and think, wow, Donna was really stressed out. Maybe she didn't have anything to do with this. Or is it so obvious that, you know, she should have gone to police if she was threatened in this manner? 
that's it right there is that if she's so stressed out and this is so like out of her realm of knowing anything that's going on here, you hang up the phone and you call the police or she's got a cell phone in her purse. When she's approached on the street, you take a picture of this guy walking away. And you next thing you do instead of sliding it in your purse is you call 911. He's right here. Come and get him, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course she does none of that. So it's really her behavior. I just see that what you just read is like, we got a glimpse into how Donna Adelson knows to manipulate and it didn't work. Super sticker from Helen John Singer. How in the hell do you lawyers, there are so many points to make, like how does Georgia know in her closing argument how to tie this all together? That's one example. How come Donna Adelson didn't take a picture of Bumpman? How do you keep track of all these things? I think, that, I think that's the best part of our job. Um, you know, creating a mosaic for a cross-examination outline to eviscerate a witness is great. But then being able to speak unfettered and not uninterrupted and putting and amalgamating everything, taking all the testimony, taking juxtaposing it with the exhibits, coming up with the order in which you want to present it. It's very, very hard, but it is the most fun part of the job. And she's going to comb those transcripts. She's going to comb the, the, the exhibits. She's going to pick out. She can't pick out every single thing. And there's going to be things afterwards where she said, man. I probably should have done that or I should, you always second guess, Yeah. but you can't, it would be, you'd be there for 20 hours. Right. So, I mean, the way they did it, the way that they did it in the last two cases, especially the last one was really a thing of beauty. I, I, I told Georgia that after the trial, I thought that the way she put it all together was really brilliant. She really did it in such a cohesive, powerful way, but you can't do everything. There's certain things that are that are small points you may not want to raise. There's certain lies from witnesses that you're just going to avoid because you can't say everything. So you want to get in all the highlights, really. Betty Majors from Tim Jansen. Does anyone think the recordings shown and played today implicate Harvey and Wendy as well, Tim? I think a lot of this stuff buttresses and insulates Wendy. Everything these people have said is keeping it away from Wendy, protecting Wendy. Um, I still don't think they have enough to charge Wendy. Harvey, I would like to have heard more about the conversation at the sushi restaurant. I know they tried to keep it from Harvey, a lot of this stuff. And I don't know if because he didn't know or if he did know and they were afraid he'd lose his cool and he wouldn't speak in code and it would get out. I don't think they have enough for Wendy. I still don't. Bonnie Lee Lopez, anytime any of you feel an ounce of sympathy for Charlie, think of Danny's last moment. And John, no bigger super fan of yours than Bonnie Lee Lopez, who has messaged me repeatedly saying that John Singer better be on. Bonnie Lee Lopez, here he is. And I said, is it because John Singer is ravishingly handsome? And she said, no, that is not the reason. She likes your brain. So there you go. Uh, she didn't say that you were not very handsome, but it was the brain that was uh, the point of it. Katie, cool lady. So then there's a comment. There's so much to get to. And then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up in a little bit because these guys and Katie is exhausted as am I. It's very tiring 
Not that I'm going to whine. Go, I, I have go something that, that I picked up today that I want to see if you guys had heard of this before. And it's something that Rashbaum dropped in there with Sanford. And it was just a little breadcrumb that he's going to go back to. But it was, do you know what happened at Charlie Adelson's house the night of July 18th? Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Sanford's like, you could tell he was like, what are you talking about? So they've concocted some story oh, yeah. that's going to have happened to Charlie's house on the 18th, the night of the murder, that like, I think he's going to start off with that, that like was the beginning of this whole um, nonsense extortion yeah. story. So in fairness to Katie Kool-Aid, she came in uh, five, 10 minutes late, but Tim talked about that extensively okay. off the very top. John Singer, we didn't get your take on this. What if, what if Orbit is able to geofence track and show that she wasn't at the home of Charlie on the 18th that night. What if, he says, what if Katie Magbonawa is not anywhere near the location of his house on the 18th? Was. She oh, slept, she was? Slept there that night, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. The, the next day they brought, the, they, okay. she turned her phone off and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they looked at all that stuff, and that's how they, and they backdoored into this. Yeah, 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 I got you. Okay. On bigger picture, though, so Rashbaum brought that up today. He said to yeah. uh, Pat Sanford, well, you don't know what happened the night of the 18th. What is he going to say? He's going to say exactly what he telegraphed in his opening, which is Charlie came home. He wasn't feeling great. He had a lot of surgery. Um, he, The parents came by the house um, because there's that text message. The parents came by at 9 o'clock, which is – which was en route to Tallahassee because they had learned at seven o'clock from Wendy that Dan had been killed. So they drove from, they got in the car, they, Harvey got out of the shower, they immediately got in the car, they drove to Charlie's and Charlie's going to say, my parents told me I was shaken. And then I was doubly shaken because Katie came by and told me who did it and they want money. So he's going to present it, this frenetic scene where it was a double whammy. He was in shock and he was in despair over Danny being killed, which he just learned about at around seven o'clock. If you remember during the interrogation, the five hour interrogation of Wendy on the 18th, she calls her mother at seven o'clock. Her mother says the father's in the shower. They're going to immediately drive to Tallahassee. Obviously en route, they stopped at Charlie's because there's that text message saying we're here at the house. Now, we all know why they were here. They were dropping the money off. Right. That that supports the prosecution theory. They were dropping off the washed money. And then Katie gets there an hour later. So Rashbaum's going to say there was this scene of freneticism, a double whammy. First, I learned my brother-in-law was killed, ex-brother-in-law. And then I learned that I've got to pay for it because they're going to try to frame me or whatever the, the exact verbiage is going to be. So that's what they're going to say. A uh, phantom with a super sticker. Chuckster's world is whack. Parents, June, Katie, Wendy, that Ryan Fitzpatrick dude, many more will not fare well in prison. Latin Kings, shot callers all over. David Mosser here. Charlie seemed in a much lighter mood, Katie Cool Lady. After it became apparent, he would be testifying. I'm not so sure about that. What's your take, Katie Cool Lady? Did you see a change in demeanor? You know, after it was over and, you know, you expect him to. I think be more anxious than he was. I mean, I think just being the letdown of preparing to tr testify all day and then find out you have to wait another day, but he was joking around with rash bomb and yucking it up. So, I mean, I, I don't know how to interpret him. Just Dallas, Tim, to you, do you believe Wendy knew enough back to the Wendy topic here 
Do you think she knew enough to stop the murder? And is that enough to convict her eventually? Uh, you know, we've all examined her route that day, why she went by the crime scene, why she brought bought bullet bourbon. Yeah. What's your thought on that, Tim? Well, as a lawyer, if you know someone's going to commit a crime, you have an obligation to stop it. Um, certainly if it's a client, but I'm not sure what's a client. Could she have known enough and is that enough to convict? That's Those are good questions. I don't know if she knew enough of when it was going to happen. I think she may have knew something was taking place that was going to happen. Um, and I still don't think they have enough to convict her right now. What I'm hearing on the tapes uh, somewhat absolve her. Uh, her conduct, her answers, her locations certainly implicate, but I don't know if that's enough. John, to you, this is an interesting question. Deja vu. Why isn't the bump entrapment? Well, first of all, the, the bump was pursuant to um, a, a a warrant. They got a warrant to tap the phones and they got the warrant to commit the bump. So it's not entrapment because they it was all blessed by the by the police. But can I make a comment just on one follow up on what Tim said? One thing that I learned in this trial that and I thought I had known everything about the case, but but there was going to be evidence that was held back. One thing I that I thought was interesting was this whole bit about backing out of the house. And it, I was very curious to why they kept raising the issue of the house and why. And I thought it was just to show that Charlie was meddling. But then they sort of tied it together. Apparently, what happened was on Halloween, Wendy backs out of the house in Tallahassee. And Charlie tells Donna over text, I convinced her. I worked my magic. You're a miracle worker, Charlie. She's not buying the house. And then we got Katie up there saying that I was approached for the first time on Halloween by Charlie to see if I knew someone dangerous. And I did. So the implication there is Charlie went to Wendy and said, don't buy the house. We're going to fix this problem. So th there was we, we didn't know about any of that in the prior two cases. So they, they're sort of circling around Wendy. Um, you know, they, they hit a lot on how she drove by the crime scene and how circuitous of a route it was. They did that the last couple of times, but they honed in on it a lot more this time. Um, they showed that text from Wendy to Dan saying, hey, July 14th to the 18th, are you going to be around? And they proved that Prof's blog and Facebook didn't indicate that Dan was going to New York. They had to get that from Wendy. So they're circling the wagons on Wendy. They're circling. A couple more things I, I need to get to, and then I promise I'll let you go. Nick's with a super sticker. Do you think that Rashbaum, Tim, wanted Donna and Harvey to testify, but dropped them because Georgia was going to interview them and it would have given away the defense, or are they just plain scared? You hit it right on the head. You hit it right on the head. I think he was concerned that they would find out about his defense. And I think that's the only reason he took them off the witness list. Because I think this surprise defense had a better chance of winning with that with a surprise than it did uh, if they knew about it prior to. But then he goes an opening, beginning of the trial, and he gives him his defense, which still gave the state plenty of time to prepare and redirect questions to their their own witnesses to defeat this defense. So he that kind of put himself in the middle. So. He probably wishes he called him now because they might be able to help his defense. Although I don't think Donna wants to get anywhere near any courtroom under oath. 
Yeah. John, did you want to jump in there? I was just going to say that, that what I would have done had I been rash bomb is I would have said, keep your, keep your ears open, listen intently. You're going to hear a very different story and, and not told the story because they gave the prosecution five days. Uh, sorry, they gave him, Charlie will testify tomorrow. They'll probably cross him on Friday. They gave him an eight day advance notice. They should have sprung it on. They didn't need to do that. They didn't need to do it. They just should have, he should have said, it is a cliffhanger. You're going to hear exactly what happened once the defense puts on his case. They should have given him eight days. What do you think about this whole jury consultant picking the jury, asking the questions, and Rashbaum not being able to build any kind of rapport or relationship with the jury? I think it's ridiculous because you don't get a chance to talk to, you get a chance to talk to the jury twice, opening and closing. Right. And then, of course, the voir dire. Yeah. When you really get to form a bond, a right. staff, or Katie honed in on that beautifully. Having I've never seen that happen before. I never have either. I, a, a jury consultant is usually at the table. They're right. usually passing post-it notes. But the lawyer is doing the questioning. Big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake to let the jury consultant do it. Find a better conversation about this anywhere and let me know and I will refund the money that you either did or did not pay. I'll be the judge, a super sticker. Thanks to everyone for great coverage, been following for years. Anyone else notice Charlie Adelson, Katie Cool Lady, fixated on someone at the end of the jury box for a good while, thought his mouth moved. This is my biggest fear, 242 into the STS stream. I did not see that, Katie Cool Lady, any thoughts? I, I want to know which end of the jury box he's talking about, because if it's at the one end, it's probably the same person we've had our eye on because yeah. there is somebody way on the end toward the toward the witness stand. Um, I'm less concerned about that now than I have been. It's just somebody who's got kind of a smirk, yeah. you know, um, I haven't noticed any of the jurors making contact except for one. And it was during one of the wiretaps. And there's a black woman on the end who really has my eyes like a four person. And at the end of it, it was probably one of the ones where he was making really disparaging comments about women. And she just stared him down. She'd never looked at him before because I really watched these jurors. She just stared him down. And then she did this for the did longest you, time. Did you hear the other comments thing he said he, about the bump? He called the guy ghetto. Yeah, the I, term ghetto. I heard that. I did. And, and I'm like, I don't know. I haven't been in there, but I don't know the makeup of the jury. But I don't think that term is going to go over well. There's, there's five black women on the jury. Yeah, there, there's a few things. Even yeah. when Sigfredo, Sigfredo, and I mean, he's a basically a gangster, oh. even though not a Latin king. He used the N word, and the African American jurors raised their head just by association. There, Charlie's taking a hit just because Sigfredo is associated with Charlie Adelson. It was it did not look like it boded well for Charlie in that moment. But then there was also a conversation between Katie and Charlie and they're using code and they're talking about these pot bellied pigs. Yeah. And then George gets up and says to the FBI agent, Pat Sanford, isn't that a derogatory term for law enforcement officers mm -hmm. or police officers? And he said, yes. And Katie told me one of the jurors is a former law enforcement officer. Oh my God, that's <laughs> All the jurors, all the jurors, all the jurors took notice of the pot belly pig comment. I mean, you guys are laughing. Oh, my gosh. How did that yeah. person get through?
I guess Josh Jubin didn't do a very good job. So we've got someone in law enforcement on that stand. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, are there yeah. one one thing that was interesting to me, and, I, and I've heard these wiretaps before, thanks to Fancy, but um, in the in the call about Dave, and they were Georgia was using it ostensibly to present evidence that Donna was a meddling mother and that Charlie was involved in Wendy's life as well. That's not why they did that recording. They did it to show the pejorative way that Charlie was talking about single mothers and how he would never in a million years date a 37-year-old, even if she were a Victoria's Secret model, let alone a 37-year-old woman with two small children. Are there any, um, are there any jurors that fit that profile in you know, mid-30s, late-30s, single or single mothers? Do you know if there's anyone on the jury like that? Because that's why they did it. That was a terrible look for Charlie. That was just the yeah. smirk character. There are a lot of single mothers on there. Um, not yeah. necessarily that young, but there's maybe three that are kind of in that age range. But I do remember that a lot of them are single mothers. That's by the I way. I would say the majority of females are single mothers. Yeah. That's why they did it because that was like the longest wiretap ever, and mm -hmm. it was only the, I, the the first thought I had was they're doing it to smear Charlie. There must be jurors with whom that would resonate, right? So I'm glad to hear that there were some on the on the on the panel that that fit that. Uh, description. Yeah, there's these jurors have been unbelievably engaged, especially during the audio and video recordings. Tim Jansen, and then we will take final thoughts from Stella. What is Charlie going to say when Georgia asks him why he didn't go to the police on the 19th? Uh, clearly, what I'm going to say is these people just murdered my brother-in-law, and now the the baby mom's boyfriend is at my. A girlfriend is at my house asking for money. They know where I live. They know where my parents live. And they were able to find out my sister's husband. So I'm scared to death. I'm going to put barbed wire up and I'm going to put alarms up and protect myself. That's what he's going to say. And what he's also going to say is when Sigfredo was in prison on in June of 16, and the questions posed to him, well, why didn't you go then? to the police, he's gonna say, because at that point in time, the probable cause affidavit was out there saying that I was behind this. I wanted nothing to do with the police. The police thought I did it. The probable cause affidavit came out concurrent with the arrest of Garcia. So at that point, he's gonna say, prior to Garcia being in prison, I wasn't going anywhere near the police. I was scared that he'd get someone to kill me. Once Garcia was in prison, the police thought I did it. I don't want to go near them then either. That, again, we all know that's not true, but that's what he's going to go with. He's going to take the, he's rash bomb smart. He took every bit of that evidence that was problematic for Charlie. Yep. And he fit it, his puzzle. He's going to make his own puzzle pieces to yep. fit in that theory and backdoor it into the evidence. And this is why some people don't love defense attorneys. KSC here says, I work with Charlie for years as a hygienist. Surviving the Survivor at gmail.com. Surviving the Survivor at gmail.com. Same to the other guest who was in dental school with Charlie. Hit us up. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe after the trial, we'll get you on, get some color about what Charlie was really like. I've heard some horror stories of him in dental school. Uh, John Sanger, right back to you on this from Pharaoh Gamma, very astute observer. Who other than Wendy knew that Dan was going to be at the gym on July 18th, 2014. And at that time, I will add. 
I mean, aside from the killers who she told, um, uh, obviously she might've told her mother, she might've told her brother, who else would have known? I mean, there's no, the killers would have had no knowledge of that other than it coming from the Adelsons. I mean, that's, so that's, again, one of these things that, that is going to be used by George in the summation, but I, I'm going to, can I give my final thought? A hundred percent. I just want to say that, uh, I come into this coming from a slightly, very, very slightly dysfunctional Jewish family, very slightly. And it says the society page, Wendy was involved. And from my own experience, there's no way Wendy didn't know whether that would ever hold up in a court of law. I can't tell you, I'm not an attorney, but my 99.997% hunch is that she did know. Madeline Bullitt says 100% spot on, John Singer. Time for final thoughts. John Singer, go for it. I don't want people to get nervous tomorrow um, when they hear the direct of Charlie because they have rehearsed this. They've had a year and a half since April 22 to rehearse this. I'm sure Charlie's been thinking about it a lot longer than that. Um, he's probably had seven years to think about this. So they're going to have a story that's not going to, we know it's not true, but it's going to sound compelling tomorrow. It's going to, he's going to hit on all the things we've just been talking about. He's going to tell you that, he got the cameras, the barbed wire right there. He's going to tell you why he didn't go to the police in July. He's going to tell you why he didn't go to the police in 16. He's going to take the Dolce Vita words and turn it, um, turn them on their head and make um, make those words to look like they're supportive of him. Just wait for the cross and wait for the summation. That's all. Don't get nervous as you're listening to the direct. It's going to be compelling. That's a great, that's great, great advice. I'm glad you said that because... Anytime a lawyer talks, I just automatically believe what they say. I don't know why uh, John Singer told me that I should move to the Gaza Strip because it's beautiful this time of year. I'd be on the next plane over there in a tent. I don't know. I just happen to listen to a lawyer. A big mistake. Got donuts. Charlie watch party tomorrow morning at my house. We are having our own watch party on STS. You guys better all tune in. Uh, she says locks, bagels, cream cheese, and mimosas. That sounds like what John Singer is doing. Uh, tomorrow, Katie Cool Lady here, and then I'm going to ask ten minutes final thoughts, and then a final question to everybody. Do you think the courtroom, Katie Cool Lady, will be packed tomorrow? And if so, will I be able to get Steve Cohen out of bed an hour earlier? I doubt it. He's in the corner here. Uh, no, the question is, will that feed into Charlie's God complex and make him chattier? What do you think? I think the courtroom will be more packed tomorrow than it's been all mm -hmm. week. Like throughout the week, some people have just heard like Katie was going to testify, and one lawyer, local lawyer, just dropped his day and ran down to the courthouse. So we'll probably see more of that tomorrow. I don't think Charlie is paying that much attention to the gallery. So I don't know, maybe. I did catch a moment today, by the way, after the state rested and he took a long, hard stare at the Markells mm -hmm. and the Markells didn't see it. I couldn't really make out, you know, whether it was some sort of minor act of contrition which I don't think it was if he was just scoping them out, but it was definitely a stare in their direction. Tim Jansen, John Singer gave us a cautionary tale mm -hmm. to, to not get upset when we hear this direct tomorrow. What are your, what's your advice to STS Nation on what we're about to witness? Well, as a lawyer to another lawyer, John Singer is a really smart guy, very smart guy. And, um, trial strategies and he's 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 right on top of it and he, he always is and it's a, it's an enjoyable thing to talk the legal stuff with him 
It was great to do the show, by the way, today. Uh, I think they're going to have an answer for everything. I think that that Dolce Vita tape is going to be their Bible. I think that's the thing these things going to exonerate him. But I think the one thing that's going to kill him is a testimony of Wendy Adelson, that Wendy Adelson didn't know about this so-called extortion. They're so close that they didn't know. She didn't know about it until it came up. And the question is, why didn't she know? Because it was contrived in a lab. It was created in a lab for over a year to answer all these questions. Why did he agree that the stapled money came from him? Because he had to. And he had to fit that piece of the puzzle. If anybody's building a puzzle, Crash Defense has built this puzzle. But when you look at it with common sense and with Wendy's testimony, it defies common sense. Dom's mom, I'm always worried about that one juror, Katie Cool Lady, and we'll go around the horn here to wind it up. Are you always worried about that one juror? I've had little moments just that one day that you saw the same thing that I did just one day was Katie's testimony. But no, I'm not worried about any of the jurors. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing about the jury that might help you. They are so focused in the well. I mean, I'm literally studying their behavior and there are only maybe three, three or four who ever look into the gallery. There are the majority of the jurors that literally never, ever look into the gallery at all. They're, mm -hmm. And they're a smart jury. They're by and large, educated, um, good jobs kind of people, but their focus is in that well and what's happening in there. And I, I feel good about that. I am not cheap paying. Tim is so freaking great. Two final questions to each of you as we go around the horn, starting with Katie Cool Lady. Will Charlie be convicted? Yes. Will Donna be arrested? Yes, soon. And I want to leave on an image too, if you want me to. Please. I think this defense, though it came to me today along the puzzle theme, is a Rubik's Cube. And as soon as you got it, it looks like it matches up. The whole cube falls apart. They got to pick up all the pieces, put them back together, move it around again. Oh, now that looks like that's come together. Oh, the whole thing falls apart again. And those there are jurors that are taking notes and they're going to know that. Like they're going to think, OK, maybe that piece fits with that. But wait a minute. What about that? You know, and you just can't. The story is so preposterous. It doesn't cohesively the whole story. You might get little scenes that make sense as they put this evidence together, but cohesively it makes no sense. Sarah Fernley, on the mark, there's no better conversation anywhere, period. STS, dream team panels, that is for sure. John Singer, will Charlie be convicted? Absolutely. Will Donna be arrested? And um, Katie hit it also. Wendy is going to sink Charlie because there's no reason why Wendy just learned about it last week or we made up. There's no, why didn't she learn about it? it? There's no, there's no good answer for that. That is going to be the one thing. Have some fun with Dolce Vita's and things. Can't get around Wendy. Cannot get around that, that bit of testimony. Interesting. They're, they're cannibalizing each other in real time. Fascinating. Tim Jansen, you get the final say here. Will Charlie be convicted? I think he will be convicted. I think there's no doubt. Um, I think that um, the state attorney is going to look and see how the conviction goes. They might interview jurors and see if they believe Katie. And then I think they're going to take a second look and they may charge Donna Adelson within 60 days. Tim Jansen, that was my final question to you. If she sees her son get convicted, she didn't have her passport seized. 
she making right. a run? Is she making a run for it somewhere? Or someone else in the courtroom was saying that they could arrest. They believe that she could be arrested almost in conjunction with a conviction. Is that possible? It could be because right now she can go anywhere she wants to go. She doesn't have charges against her. She can get on a plane and leave. Um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that the state attorney. F the FBI, FDLE, and the persons making that decision have heard everything that I've heard this week, these tapes. Because if you hear these tapes, I've seen a lot of people charged with a lot less evidence than what I've heard in these last five days. Hey, Tim, is there a situation or a scenario where right now she could be under surveillance and if there's a conviction and they see her heading to an airport, they could stop her or that's implausible? 100% it's possible. It's possible. It is possible. Well, Don, if you're watching STS tonight, I don't know what to tell you other than I wouldn't want to be you. Kerry Lama uh, became a YouTube member. Please, all of you become members. We'd appreciate it. D-Dar says best guest. Thank you. I always say best guest. Better community. Let's watch it as a community tomorrow. We're going to be live streaming starting a couple of minutes before 8.45 a.m. when Charlie Adelson, the defendant in this historic case, is going to take the stand. We don't know which way the road will wind from there, but we could. We could. Final question. Do you think that we get a um, that the defense rests and we get the deliberations before the end of the week. I think we'll have a verdict before the end of the week. Singer, uh, let me unmute you. Verdict no. before the end of the week? I don't think so. I think he's going to bleed into Friday and then they'll, they'll put off closings till Monday. Jansen, verdict? I couldn't remember the word verdict. I don't, going I don't think verdict. I think closings will be Friday afternoon. You do. There you go, everyone. You heard it from the experts. So watch with us tomorrow. Please do that. We'll be, uh, begin our stream. Tim Jansen, I don't know if he'll be uh, doing the same level of commentary because he has a uh, doctor's appointment. Tim Jansen, what's your doctor's schedule tomorrow? Those ribs are oh, getting in the way of my show. I got a, I got an x-ray at 10, doctor's appointment at 11. I'll be home by 12. I can start and do the 845 till about 930. Then I'll come back and do it when I get back. And I'll be live uh, chatting with you from the courtroom. Okay. Again, okay. I cannot thank Tim Jansen enough. John Singer is going to use the proceeds from that bar behind him to help me buy a boat for Tim Jansen as a result of him doing uh, yeoman's work here. And we'll be watching at 8.45 a.m. And then we will do post-game analysis once again tomorrow night. Thank you to the best guests. Thank you to STS Nation. I have to get in here so I can get you guys my clothes. Until then, love you, America. Love you, Boston. Go Patriots. Love you, New York City. Love you most, Tallahassee, Florida. Till tomorrow night. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, 
Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.